How are we doing guys? This is Dave, Big Ed, Bonkers Dave, King Cod. Welcome to the latest episode where we're going to take a look back at season two. Now that's what I call Cod. Hope you enjoy. to the 54321 thing. It's been there. It's been, mate. Sorry, it's been. Was it? I wasn't even looking. <laughs> 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 professionals, aren't Oh, you're the one that's been doing this professionally. Come on, professional. We're live. We're live. We're live. Are we live? All right. You don't have to get paid to be professional. That's right. I guess it depends what you're doing. turn up. Finish. <laughs> hello and welcome to hello. season two of Talking Cod. Hello, hello, hello. How are we doing, guys? How are we doing? Season two. I don't think we actually wrapped on season one, really, did we? Got to episode thirteen, and then, and then, we've we've been away, boys. We've been away. We've been on a break. We've been on a break, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. We were planning that big season finale, like on Game of Thrones. We or were. We Squid were. Game. We had yeah, a big budget, alla- big budget allocated. <laughs> special guests. CGI. Uh, yes. Yeah, special. So anyway, we're talking about being a headless chicken, and I was explaining about Mike, the the headless chicken, um, and you were both looking at me like, "What are you on about? You on drugs or something?" So I explained that back in 1945, there was a chicken that had its head cut off, and it lived for 18 months after having its head cut off. This is this is a true story, and like both shaking heads, and then. Phil Googles it and sees a picture of a headless chicken in black and white. And it's true. And then suddenly, <laughs> Phil falls off his chair, does his Bob Fleming impression and coughs for half an hour. I thought we're going to have to phone an ambulance for this guy now. So there's even a festival that goes on. Mike, it goes on Mike, the 27th the of August festival. every year, celebrating Mike yeah. the Headless Chicken. Yeah. Wow. And and wow. there's what what what... What what activities take place? I think there's pin 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 the head on a chicken or something. <laughs> no, there is, there is. Pin the head on the chicken. <laughs> Clucking bingo or just 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 it's legit. I tell you what, we need we need an outing. We need to go. To, we need to. When's it on? August. Yeah. <laughs> or August oh, twenty two coming at you live from Mike the Headless Chicken's festival. annual festival. We yeah. did this the other day, didn't we? Like on the when we were do when we met to do a bit of prep, we went from really, really humorous to like proper in depth jokes. Within within <laughs> <laughs> Me and Dan used to work together as RE teachers, so both of us were religious studies teachers. Um in um a little little town in the north, for those people who know you guys will know Accrington. And we were in Accrington mm-hmm. and we worked in a quite a challenging school um, and taught RE and um, loved it. We met there. We loved technology, using edu- technology in education and thought, well, Dan's got some experience doing podcasting um, previously. Why don't we do a – nobody else was doing one about educational technology or education really at that point. And we just thought it's about four years ago. Let's let's have a go. Uh, so we went and met in Dan's living room um, over in East Livingbury. I didn't drive all the way to Newcastle, uh, and we just had a, had a chat. And the 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 point was, we we often not used to say teachers helping teachers. We wanted to mm. be people that just kind of found solutions or found little things that we thought we could help other teachers with. And we managed to get some decent guests on early on. Um, in fact, we at that point we called ourselves 
in the studio with the EdTech project, <laughs> EduTech project, it was thought was some kind of like we were no, going to be we big. Did. No, actually, just remind <laughs> that first episode we did go to the, that studio in your church. Remember? Yeah, we did. We did. Record That's why it, we called it because we, we literally recorded the first episode. And we were like, "Oh shit, we're going to need a name." <laughs> so we're like, well, "We're in a studio." Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's cringe. Yeah. That so we were cringe, the, right? in the studio with the Edutech project, and we were T E T P, the Edutech project. We thought it, it was like cool. some sort of tech band or some tech group or some electronic band, <laughs> so, the Edutech yeah. project. So this was in a church. Your first episode was in a church. Yeah. So yeah. did you did you play your first jingle on the organ? <laughs> not, not, not not quite. Not, not quite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah, oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Is that it again? Taking him all at twenty minutes, <laughs> and then yeah, and then it's just kind of evolved, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think yeah, just you know, I hadn't been a teacher long. Uh, I had, I think, I was in my late twenties. I'd, I'd had a previous career, uh, which is quite interesting in itself. Um, but we. Uh, you yeah, gotta tell them that, mate. You gotta. You can't not tell them that. <laughs> go on. What? What? Flower arranging? Something that, like that. I, I can't believe you got it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was a Catholic priest for uh, oh, wow. for, for a few years. So uh, yeah, trained. It was seven years training. So I did the training and then was a priest for a couple of years. And if yeah, just if if you know anything about uh, the Catholic Church, priests can't get married. They can't have families. So after a couple of years, I was like, "Shit, what have I done?" Um, and then uh, and, and decided to to step back. But uh, and, and now yeah. you've got four wives <laughs> <laughs> and twenty seven children. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, but I, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't been a teacher all that long, and um, the one thing I noticed, or I'll probably reflecting back, was a lot of teachers have a rough time, like a rough time. But they, but they, some will tell you about it. Some will, will tell you all day about it. But a lot of them, I'll put a smile on their face because they've got to go into that classroom yeah. and they've got to uh, get get a, get thirty kids enthusiastic about what they're learning, and it and they do doing that five times a day, and then they get home, crash, and repeat the next day. But underneath, it's a hard job. It yeah. is a hard job. Yeah. Um, workload isn't great and. And when you're training to be a teacher as well, that's probably times 10. And everyone's like, oh, you know, we'll get through that training, yeah. Because not only are you having to do that, but you're also having to create like a portfolio off the back of it. So you've actually got to then go and review everything and write everything up and plan everything meticulously so it can be checked. So I'd, I'd done my, my training, yeah. And um, I, I felt like, I remember I was in a, I was in a training session about uh, about Google for education. And I was like, don't know what this is. I'm into tech. I'll go and check it out. And then literally f- from then, went back, told Nick, who was in our department, told Nick, we had a conversation with Ben. We were like, we could use this. Literally within, I think that was just before Christmas, got back in January. And then Nick, who was in our department, who was like a workhorse, literally transferred our whole server's worth of resources onto Google Drive. <laughs> and like, if that if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have had to get to grips with cloud technology yeah. and, and all all the benefits that that brings. So we literally, we we jumped off a cliff with it, I think that, that January, and we're starting to see ourselves enthusiastic about about the job and about about 
using the, the, these types of tools with students and and then we started going to like conferences and getting involved and started doing some google uh, work ourselves and i think i think it's probably just born out of that kind of um and, and here's my previous job coming in at that wanting to evangelize uh on people with 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 these uh with these tools that could actually make their life better and make their make, and inspire their students a bit so we we were like let's we need to tell people so we got we we it started very practical started very like right tell us about this this type of technology tool how you're using it uh what's the impact of it um but yeah then it it, it it evolved. I think we've been doing it about two and a half, three years now, and it's it's evolved quite a bit. It's nearly four, Dan. It's nearly four. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then yeah, it's so kind it, of it, it's on, become me. something very different, hasn't it? It's become yeah. like very um, thought thought led. But it also it's also like big big thinking. So what we've what we've tried to do is trying to think if we're talking if we're talking to somebody about so we've had people talking to us about like cryptocurrencies or we've had people talking to us about uh, uh, health and well being or um, writing or creative stuff. We've had people from all sorts of industries, and in fact, actually, we want to kind of expand that portfolio into all sorts of stuff as well. But we want to try and flip that back into education and learning mm. more so. So we, what we're trying to do is say, okay, well, first of all, what can we learn from it? But also, how is this going to revolutionise or change education or learning per se, whether that's mm. learning for people who are on the job in business or education as formal education? And that's what really um, the best the best podcasts that we ever get to do are those kind where it's something that might be out there. So we interviewed um, some of the best ones are we're talking about high level stuff and then yeah. somehow thinking what are the lessons to be learned here that we can apply into education? Let's talk about that, Dave. Dave what, you want to talk about my chimp? <laughs> yeah, come on. This is what we want to talk about, isn't it? You, you, you've told us already. This is what you want to talk about. We're here for you. Live therapy. I think, yeah, I mean, we've spoke about it. I know we touch on many things don't we and and, mm -hmm. and i know we do revisit things like that but the i've definitely had you know the last two weeks it's been it's been driving me bonkers absolutely bonkers and i'm pretty good at managing it i am pretty good at managing it and i thought i had it under control and then about i would say every quarter just let's just put you know if we're looking at a time span on it every three months maybe every now and again it does get out of its box and when it does it's it's not it's not a good experience. I don't think it's a good experience for me or anybody that's potentially around me. But it's mm. it, you know. It, it, but I accept that that's life. I accept that things can't be perfect all the time. I don't want things to be perfect. If you are, if I'm honest with you, I like the flux. I like and I, and I do like you know the elements of the unknown. I think the one thing that does scare me with it is you, is I manage it and manage it and I manage it and when it gets out everything that I've done to manage it has failed and everything that I want to do to manage it when it gets out, it ain't happening. It just ain't happening. And it, it mm. scares the shit out of me sometimes. It proper scares it, me. Mm -hmm. What happened? The, Tell us more. Uh, I guess... 
I guess like anything in it, you have lots of little things that can gradually build up and build up and build up and build up until the point that it, you know you've managed it to that build up, and then you're in a situation, and no matter what you say or what you do, is never gonna. You're trying to calm the situation. You're trying to sort it out, and it's you're not. It's basically, it's as if you've got a fire going and everything you say is just spitting diesel on it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, 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 and no matter what yeah. you're doing or what you're trying to do to get out of it, it's just, you're in it. You literally are in that mixer. And, and again, it's, you know, it, it, it's that learning from it. I mean, now, so the next day, today's today. And I'm looking back on it and I do my usual thing and I go, you know what, I can't change anything that happens to that point. I can't change what's happened. But if it was to happen again, what do I do with that? How do I manage that? And I can honestly say, I don't have those answers uh, at the moment. And, you know, you're talking about, well, it happened, say it happened on a Tuesday and the day, the day after is the Wednesday. At that point, you know, you're not going to have all those answers. But I tell you what I do know is I need to find some to one, ideally, stop me getting there, or if I do, what do I do when I get there? Yeah, mm. and it's it's that for me. That's that lack of control. It's like I'm not driving this. It's, yeah. it's this isn't me. You know, it's not the conscious me. It's something else is in is in residence now. There's a big hairy ass chimp that's taking over my thoughts, and I don't yeah. know what to do with it. So I think you know, not just myself, but I'm pretty sure. Everybody listening has, has experienced that, where they're irrational, out of control, everything's going to shit, don't know what to do about it. Have you had that feeling, Phil? Oh, God, yeah. Like, so many times. So many, I mean, like, I'm much better at it now at, at, at dealing with it, but flipping heck, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the red mist descends, and you know mm. full well that... The shit you're getting angry about, I mean, for me, it's like I'll be, I'll, I'll be, it'll build the, the sort of the chimp will sort of start eating away at me, and things will be doing me head in, and and there'll be just then one thing that just sort of sets fire to it all, and then I'm going off on one, and I'm kind of I'll just any anything that you know anything becomes a problem in my head, you know, like the slightest thing becomes a problem in my head. And, um, you know, in the past that would just end up, I'd just end up buddy losing it and, 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 and just legging it away and, and just sort of fight or flight in it. So flight, mm. flight kicks in. Um, and, um, and yeah, I just, I just don't, I don't do much of that anymore i think i've got occasionally you flip out a bit don't you and the, the chimp takes over but i think i'm much better at well i don't know it's hard isn't it because you sort of you go oh well the thing to do with the chimp when the chimp t- and, and for for the benefit of the listener uh, well <clears throat> when we talk about the chimp we're talking largely about like the from the book the chimp paradox where yes you've got good, good two point, sides good, good of about couple of different sides yeah couple of different sides of the brain predominantly you've got the chimp brain which is the sort of the bit of the brain yeah that's exactly it the bit of the brain that basically doesn't just sort of governs our actions but it doesn't doesn't tend to think about much you know that's that that's the bit of the brain that sort of leads on fight or flight and these sort of basic Mm. things isn't it and then the human brain the brain or as 
Dr. Steve Peters uh, says in the uh, when when you listen to the audio, but the human brain, which obviously he says human. it a lot, so it does sort it of start why human the human brain, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the human brain, which is the bit that rationalizes stuff and kind of mm. takes longer to come to conclusions about stuff, but actually does think you know, about the impact of, of, of its, of its, of its actions and rationalizes stuff. So anyway, like, you know, obviously the, the, the thing that they, they talk about in the book, book is sort of recognizing, you know, when the chimp's taken over, mm. but I find that really hard because once you've got, once the chimp's in town, oh my me, God. you know, we're not, we're not in a position to start going, time. well, who's he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Beating his chest and everything, you know, yeah. looking through the cupboard for bananas. I think this is one of those labels that therapists love because it gives them loads of work. You know, oh, I've got imposter syndrome. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So I think they so do, they're just thinking reoccurring revenue. Coach. Show me the money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, so so the description of imposter syndrome, this is a, a common description. Phil, you, you're almost bang on the money. It was almost like you read it from Wikipedia. Um, but it is, um, it's a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents or accomplishments and has persistent internalised fear of being exposed as a fraud. So that's it's, it's, so the key word for me is like persistent, internalized, um, and yeah. psychological pattern. When it becomes yeah, a pattern, yeah. then it's something which sticks with you. So I thought, well, you know, me and semantics, let's dig a little bit deeper. What does that actually mean? So the word imposter is a person who pretends to be someone in else to deceive others, especially for fraudulent gain. Now I can see how that works. In a work environment or a business environment, you want to be perceived to be better than you are, so you can get paid more. So that's for fraudulent gain. So I can see how that works. But we're going back to that previous episode about chimp paradox, our limbic systems. It's been developed to protect us in these environments. In these environments, we need to be seen to, to fit into that troop. And this is probably why we overcompensate. Yeah, that's, yeah. In, that's imposter. The word syndrome, now this, this really kind of confused me a little bit, and I'm, I'm glad I looked into this one. Is it um, from Marvel? Is it? Is, it, is it a character out of the Marvel films? I don't really watch them. Uh, it, could be, oh, it could be. It could be. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it says. Give us the real I'll, reason, I'll, Andy. Hit us up with the real one. Well, I don't know if it's real. It's just semantics. Our words. A, a syndrome is a set of medical signs and symptoms which are correlated with each other and often associated with a particular disease or disorder. So the word derives from, the, from a Greek word, syndromo, meaning concurrence. So there's there's a combination of things which are happening here. Um, so the fact that two or more events or circumstances happening at the same time. Um, so I thought, I've got, to, I've got to find out more about this. How many syndromes, actual recognised syndromes, do you think there are? Who wants to go today, first? Dave, you A lot. First. I would imagine hundreds now. In this day and age, hundreds. Yeah, go on. Uh, 1,622.5. 1622.5. Phil, higher or lower? Uh, lower. Lower. <laughs> 2,700 what syndromes. Oh. Uh, 2, what do I the caravan? Dave what do I win by? Boys? And the mini metro. Love it. <laughs> yeah, mini metro. To talk to, to, to the caravan. Here's what you could have won. So, they're often associated with dysmorphias. For example, mm. um, such as let's have a see Down syndrome, and then there are other other medicals 
such as toxic shock syndrome, where you can't actually pinpoint the cause of it. So, Phil, you identified the causes of your imposter syndrome. So, mm, yeah. you know, you can identify maybe one or two or three occurrences what led to this syndrome. So basically yeah. syndrome means like we can't really put our finger on it. It's just, it's like an illness or a disease, but it's often associated with um, like a mental illness, for example. Mm. Uh, so in the context of mental illness um, and its treatment, uh, certain individuals may see themselves as less ill than others. Now I can identify with this. So we went to Andy's Man Club. If you're in a talking group, you'd go, yeah, well, you know, I've been struggling with anxiety and depression for, you know, for five, six mm. years now. Next person, I've been, I've been struggling for about 10 years now. Next person, I've been on antidepressants for 15 years. Next person, I thought about suicide. Next person, I've attempted suicide. And it almost feels like there's this, well, actually, now you've said that, I don't feel like I'm mentally ill compared to you. Yeah. And that's that's another place that actually occurs because these are the environments that people talk about. Uh, talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, and we doubt ourselves, we doubt our abilities. But it's there's almost like a comparison. And this, for me, is where imposter syndrome comes from. We have to compare ourselves to other people. And in this age, this digital age of, we'll say, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, you know, people living their best lives going, God, Dave's way better than me. You know, he's been more successful in business. Therefore, I'm shit at business, in which case I'm an imposter. You know, Phil's better with words than I am. I'm shit at words. I'm an imposter. You know, so we compare ourselves to other people. So do you know when the first time it was actually discovered, this syndrome, before it even be became a thing? Do you want to hazard a guess at when this came out? 1975. Uh, Ooh, higher or lower than 1975. Lower, just by one year, my birth year. Are you, are you saying 74? That's it is as well, isn't it? Yes, 74. 75 is 1978. <laughs> you ready? Of what? 1978. Whoa. <laughs> You've won bully, again. Bully special prize. Um, bully you won again, special as, prize. As the BG said. Win <laughs> <laughs> one. Um, and two. So it was... <laughs> you get nothing for two in a bed. Um, no, uh, not in this game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually, it was, it was first cited in 1978 as imposter phenomenon. 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 Or imposterism or fraud syndrome or imposter experience. And this is a piece of research where we looked at um, where people looked at women in business in particular, high performing females, whether overcompensated to be to be accepted in their environment. So it was associated with females overworking to be accepted by males. Um, but proven since then that actually it's it's equal across all genders. It doesn't matter. Every, you know, everybody can have imposter syndrome, and it probably affects up to eighty percent of the population now, and that's increasing all the time. There's a great book. It's called um, Wanting: The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Um, I don't know if anyone has views has read it. No. Uh, Luke. Burgess, um, and and he starts off the kind of book with like telling his story how he wanted to be like the founder from Sappos, and he was trying to sell his business to him as well, and all that sort of stuff. And and Sap, the, the the founder from Sappos had like a certain way of how he was behaving, you know, and stuff. And he was like, "Well, I really want to behave in that way, right?" And it's it's really interesting how if we look at everything that we do, like if we really critically analyze everything that we do, how we dress, how we talk, how we, you know, whatever, and how often actually a lot of what the way we, we are, we behave are driven by how, you know, our, I guess, inspirations, role models, whatever we want to call them are, right? Like, you know, I've, 
decided at some point I don't want to wear suits and things like that anymore because like, you know, all my role models that I know don't, yeah. right? And it's yeah. really interesting to kind of break yourself or try to break yourself from that. And it's, I think it's almost impossible. And and I think actually um, we're so like everything, like everything that we desire in some way, desire, not needs, right? Like there's a difference there. When we talk about need, we talk about like, I don't know, I'm thirsty. Well, just because someone else drinks water, doesn't mean I'm going to drink water now. But like everything like that we desire in some way is driven by what other people are doing. And you go in, yeah. oh, like they're doing this, you know, like even the little inspiration that you were talking about earlier, Andy, like around, you know, the, the, the fat person that then went off and cha- you know lost all the weight and now runs marathons and things like that. Like there's another... Uh, overweight person someone looking at that story and going oh i want to be like like that you know it's it's like it's almost not like oh i want to be healthier or i want to be lose weight or whatever it's actually they're actually looking at that going oh i want to be like like that and i think there's a there's an interesting difference in that isn't there and i i I almost i i personally find it really hard to like separate myself from 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 that like i think pretty much most of the stuff that i do is driven by like people that I know and and what they do and how they do it. Like if I, if I'm honestly admitting it, yeah. So I've, I've got, um, I've got a question and something I think I'd really like you to talk about DDLC, if that's okay. Can I call you DDLC? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like I've known you for years. DDLC. (laughs) Um, So we we were speaking offline before, which sounds really professional, doesn't it? Speaking offline before the show um, about some of the work you do in boxing um, and, you know, bringing, that kind of choice to, to young people's lives. And it seems to be an, an awful lot of comparison and how are you perceived by your peer groups, but you have to make some really difficult decisions. What kind of things have you seen there? Wow. Um, big question. I guess, I guess sort of maybe looking at it, why I got into it in the first place, because that like will explain a lot of the, the, the thinking behind it or what I've probably seen as well. But like, I guess, um, so I didn't grow up with much money um, and this is no bullshit backstory or anything like that. I'm trying to like make myself sound great. Um, you're being, you're being so truthful. You're I not think, lying to us now, are you? No, 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 no. I, I didn't actually grow up in a mansion. I wish I did. <laughs> well, do, do I? You know, that's the big question, right? Um, and, and, uh, and, and so, you know, parents, um, parents were always like super violent with each other. There was, was a lot of problems at home, quite, quite a lot of chaos and stuff. And, um, and I... Uh, I guess sort of for me, the the thing was like, first of all, was like trying to break out of that chaos. Like that was the first thing, like growing up has always been about like, how do I, how do I, how do I go to the opposite of chaos? Right. Like how do I create, um, like a, a calmness basically. And, mm. uh, and, and for some strange reason, I always ended up in more chaos coming out of it, you know? Mm. And, uh, and, and what happens was that, um, I think initially it was sort of looking at, some of the things I really like. So I got into graffiti quite early on in life. And, um, and then I saw like these, these kids that were doing graffiti, right? Like, and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I want to be like that. And, you know, and there was this one guy that was really, really good. And again, you know, like, so my desire started to become really good at, at drawing, but then I fell into these circles where there was loads of drugs and again, more violence and things like that. And I think, I think it was interesting to um, look at like, how how did I switch from that path of, you know, uh, drugs, violence, um, being in trouble with the police and everything to then suddenly going, actually, I want to make something out of my life, right? Well, it was really simple. 
my uncle, um, he had done quite well for himself. And, uh, and my aunt, my uncle were like living quite a different life to us. And, and occasionally my aunt would take me into their life and it would be, you know, quite glamorous and they'd go off to holidays to Mallorca and whatever, you know, and, and they would take me there and it would be like a complete different thing. And I was like, wow, like I want to be like that. And suddenly, you know, my whole kind of perception started, my perspective started to change and there was something else there. And then I went onto that. So again, it was all driven by, you know, what other people were doing rather than me sort of figuring out this solution that actually it's not a good idea to do drugs. And I should probably, you know, not get in trouble with the police because, yeah, <laughs> who knows where that's going to end up. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think it's a similar kind of thing with a lot of the, the you know, the, the kids that we work with in the charity as well, where you bring I, I guess as an individual, as another individual, you bring a different perspective to them and then they can see that. And then that's a desire that they then go for and that helps them out of that. I think it's very seldom that I would turn around to you and go, no, I'm having a proper shit day. Even if I was, I probably won't tell you. I probably won't tell you. Why is that? I, oh, because I wouldn't, because you could be coming to me all buzzed up and at the end of the day, I don't want to go, I'm having a shit day and bring you down. Do you know what I mean? I just want to, I'll probably keep it to myself and sort it out myself. And I can't have a sh- very noble that. Yeah. Well, I think we all, sometimes, and maybe with the three of us, sometimes if we get on a call, over the period of that call, I might open up a little bit more because it's you guys, maybe. I might open up more. I might go, yeah, I'm all right. And then halfway through it, I'll be going, anyway, anyway, blah. <laughs> And so my initial response is, yeah, I'm good, but that doesn't necessarily mean to, that's not necessarily uh, the truth. There mm. you go. There's, there's an answer for why you. Why do you reckon that is? Why, why do we do it? Why do we, why do we avoid speaking the truth? Because we spoke about truth recently, didn't we? You know, so there's, you can be a little bit truthful at times, but why do we avoid that? I mean, Dave, you just said, obviously, you want to like, you don't want to bring people down, if that's the case. I don't want to bring you down, but also... I don't know. Maybe it's my personality and I have sort of, I have got a bit of a, you know, I have got quite a big personality and I can't have it. If I go into a situation and I go in in a shit mood or I'm having a shit day, it'll bring everyone else down. I know it will. It instantly will do. But if I go into a situation and everyone's down and I'm a bit, oh, I can get everybody else up, you know? So I did, I wouldn't want to, how would I describe it? What's the best way? I wouldn't want to pollute that situation with me coming and going, you know, because it's just me. That's my shit. That's me having a bit of a crap day. Don't make you say the other two, three, four, five people in there. They don't need to hear that. They've all got their own stuff going on, you know. But I, however, when I, people do talk to me about it a lot, <laughs> if they're having a shit day, and I'll, I do listen. Well, maybe. I mean, just 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 a thought here that, you know, if you, if you were, if you actually weren't feeling very good and you went, actually, I'm not feeling it today. I'm a little bit pissed off about something. You're giving somebody the opportunity to be a friend then, aren't you? To go, you know, tell us about it, mate. I also don't believe You're not necessarily that- bringing them down. You might be helping them. A lot of people don't have the, the ability to do that, though. A lot of people that you speak to don't have the ability to listen, I find. Now, I'm not, I'm not being horrible, but a lot of people... If I went to a situation and started talking about that, People, some people will listen and some people, before you know it, will start, will shut that conversation down and start talking about themselves because they're like, yeah, like, no, it's about me. No, it's about me. And I can, for every 10 people you meet, eight of them will be like that. So 
I think it's an absolute skill to be able to listen to what somebody's got to say, take it on board. And even if you, even if you haven't got anything to add, add back or any words of wisdom to add back, just to listen is an absolute skill and not many people have that. What was that? Sorry. Oh, he's a bugger. I was thinking, oh, of should I do something like that? And I thought, no, it's a bit crass, really. But uh, then Andy plans <laughs> in with it. But what are you saying? What are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're listening. Um, no, I, I, that's totally, you know, there's a right t- time and place for everything. And, and you know, I think we're yeah, talking nice. in general terms, there aren't we? Like, if we have a meeting and, you know, there's a few of us, we don't want to bring all that shit to the table. But there is a time and place. And, and I think... As blokes, we are exceptionally crap at talking about how we feel because, well, all sorts of reasons, isn't there, really? So actually, when someone, you know, does want to just listen, that's really flipping powerful to me. I mean, <laughs> I'm flipping. When, when I was going through psychotherapy, you know, I'd pay 35, whatever, 40, 45, I've forgotten, quid a week to sit and just talk. And I'm not the most natural person at just talking, you know, for someone just to listen to me was like, oh God, you know. <laughs> so it's, you know, that, that and that's an extreme, but, you know, as friends, we'll all have conversations that might start with, yeah, I'm all right. And then, yeah, as Dave says, you know, I think it was Dave that said it. I, I sort of drifted off a little bit, but he, <laughs> were you not? Were you not listening? <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> I was just thinking of something smart to say, a little biffy one-liner. Uh, but no, no. But y- y- you know, um, but we will have those conversations that do start. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, great. And then we'll get to the the nub of something that's you know doing our heads in, and then it feels really good to have got it off your chest. But I just. I really don't think any of us are good enough at it. Us, my pals, you know, I can't say this is a bloke thing per se, but, you know, common common sort of knowledge is that men are better, but men aren't as good at talking about their emotional state as, as women. And I hate generalisms like that, but I think we all get a sense that that's, from my experience, absolutely true. I think you're right. No, I, 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 think, I think you're right with that, mate. One of the things that I like to do when, when, when I first meet clients is we have a, um, an exercise and it's called When Money Came to Tea. And it gives me an idea as a, as a starting point as to what kind of person they are. I might just do it very briefly with you guys if, you, if you'll allow me. But if we were to personify money, let's imagine money was a person and they're, they're coming for a cup of tea tomorrow afternoon. How would they look? What would their size be? What would their demeanour be? Have a think about what kind of person they would be. Andy, what would it be for you? Who would be coming to tea? Okay, if, if money was a person? Yeah. If, um, he's not quite the Grim Reaper, but he's, he's somebody who's he's a big, ugly, fat bastard. <laughs> he's a greedy get. Honestly, he, if he came to tea, he'd be like, I want everything you're eating. Um, and I want more. I'm going to go in the kitchen and raid the kitchen as well. I'm going to empty a fridge. It's definitely a male. It's definitely a greedy, fat, bloated, horrible male who you just want on your side if, if anything goes wrong. You just, I'd rather befriend him than be an enemy of him. That's, that's who that, that person is for me. Yeah. If he came to tea. It's, it's almost like a, it sounds almost like a bully kind of thing who you'd like to have on oh, your yeah. side in a fight. 
but you wouldn't really yeah. want to be friends with. Don't want to, no, I don't want to befriend him, no. In fact, I don't like him at all. I'm just like, I just want to keep him at arm's length. You know, keep your enemies close, yeah. that kind of thing. And what about you, Dave? Who would, who would be coming to tea? I would probably, it'd be a bit like Jackal and Hyde. One minute, it'd be like what Andy's describing, but maybe not as severe, maybe a bit more chilled out, not as grey and stuff like that. And then on the opposite side of it, on the, on the other side of it, maybe the complete opposite. So one minute it's this, and then minute it's that. You know, it wouldn't, it, it would, it'd have two clear personalities, definitely two clear personalities. And, you know, you can, you can, you can see there that, that Andy, the, the person coming to tea there is not particularly, you're not feeling welcoming to having money to come to see you. Dave, you're a, a different kettle of fish, but I've had people in the past where it has been the Grim Reaper and other people where it's almost been a clown, where they've, where they've not taken money seriously at all. And all of these things contribute to how they view money and how they kind of view the world. It's an inter- interesting point is that our, our kind of money foundations are set really by the age of seven. And that's all that, that's environmental. It comes from perhaps our parents, our grandparents, uh, friends, neighbours, uncles, aunties, that kind of thing. So by the age of seven, our kind of conditioning has been set. So obviously, if you've come from a, a family where let's say there was a lack of money, there was a, money was, was scarce, then you take that forward into the future. If money was abundant um, in your family, then your relationship is, is different. And all of these, these kind of issues kind of reflect and you know, they, they kind of affect how we, how we operate as adults. It's really interesting because I think a lot of, a lot of our experiences as children, particularly in that kind of age of seven, when we, we're influenced by our parents so much at that age. We're almost living out their values in our adulthood, even though it doesn't may not even be relevant to us. How, how many times would you think of if you asked your parents for for a bike or for some sweets, and they say we can't afford that? Oh, there's not not enough money for that. We can't maybe for your birthday. All of that kind of that message that you're receiving day in day out has an effect as we get older. Mm, it's a good point because. I'm going to go into mine a little bit, if that's okay, just to explain probably where why I think that uh, money's a horrible thing. And I know now that it isn't rationally. As you say, it gives access to more. It can buy us more time. It can give us the opportunity to, to help and serve people. But growing up, I was the youngest of, of quite a big family. I've got a lot of older brothers and sisters. And we didn't really have a, a real, we didn't have anything disposable. So my dad worked away a lot, HGV driver. And my mum had multiple jobs, factory work, cleaning, that kind of thing. So really, money was just, it was a horrible thing. We, we, they, they just worked as hard as they could to, to give us the basic essentials, and that was it. And my older brothers and sisters had it worse because they had even less money. So there's nothing disposable. It's just literally money was almost like an evil thing. You just have to work as hard as you can to earn enough to survive. So I think that's kind of stayed with me now. I'm, I'm still a little bit overcautious. And I think a lot of people who I speak with, particularly from you know, from, from a northern town, from council estates, have that kind of self-limiting belief. What was yours like, Dave? Probably pretty similar. You know, I, I grew up, we didn't have, you know, loads of stuff, but we didn't necessarily live a life where we needed. We felt like we always had everything, but I guess life was, was, was a lot simpler. And, you know, my, my dad, I mean, if you wanted to borrow a tenner off my dad, he, you'd have to write a business plan 
But if you wanted 10 grand, if he had it, he'd be like, well, he really needs 10 grand. He's in the shit. So what? he wouldn't think twice, you know. So it was all the small, it was the small, it was the opposite way around as what anybody else would normally, you know, think of. And I had mates that were wealthy and they, they had all the stuff, you know, the latest Jordans, the latest Reebok pumps and things like that. But my life was quite simple. And I've had times when I've had a bit of cash and I've had times when I've had no cash. And the most peaceful times have probably been the times when there's not been much in the pot because everything's simple because it has to be simple by default. Don't let money be associated with fear because as human beings, we need relatively little. And all the pressures that we put ourselves under is societal. So if you do start a business and it doesn't work out the way you, you, you perhaps hoped it would, don't let that be a stumbling block for you. you know, Go and try it. And what is the worst that can happen? You know, we live in a, in a society where there is a safety net. So we will always have somewhere to stay and, so, uh, and, and some kind of food in, inside us, really. So don't let money be attached to the notion of fear. Look at it as a, as a way of it being an opportunity. I tend to make most of the meals in our house. So I love cooking. It's like properly where I switch off from stuff and just get into stuff, get into a bit of a flow state. So I've been doing pizzas since lockdown, really, getting into sort of everyone else was making banana bread and I was perfecting the pizza dough. Oh, Phil cooks everything because he tells us that his other half can't cook, but we'll never let her know. We'll never let her know I that that's the I case. Have I ever said that? Have I you, ever? You've said that so many. No, you I'll haven't. Be, no, you've never I'll said that. I'll be strung up. <laughs> You'll be in the pizza oven. I'll be strung up. <laughs> you won't be in the doghouse you'll be in the oven yeah but i tell you it's a game changer it's brilliant and weather we've had recently out in the garden getting a, getting a nice pizza on the go yeah can't go wrong it's, it's, usu- it's usable usable for five days a year but for those five days a year it's never off <laughs> it's just constantly <laughs> it's on. amazing isn't it? exactly well, it's like apparently there are, there are more people with convertible cars in this country than any other part of Europe, and we've got like the wettest weather. Yeah, it's bizarre. For, like, for two or three days a year, the hold's coming down. Check this. So, is, is it because we're just so desperate to make the most yeah. of these? We, we, you know, that's you know, the the very idea of being able to take the top down is like well, even closer to the warm weather. And they're all driven by middle aged blokes like us. Like us. I haven't got a topless car. Our target audience, then. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BMW Convertibles. So you're touching on something here, though, Dev and Phil, which I think is really important. You know, we're talking about actually creating, making food and actually yeah. creating it yourself, being in the moment, being in flow. It isn't just about eating the food, though, is it? It's like spending no, that time eating not. it with somebody else and actually appreciating. Love it. Yes. You know, this, this, yeah. this started up as... Double O flower, is it? Flower, yeah. And then, yeah, and then yeah, I, I yeah, put my yeah. I put my active yeast in it, and you and you bore your yeah. family with it. But you sit there for that moment and go, "This is a moment. It is just yeah. a moment to say." But it's not. I've ordered it on my app, and some guys turned up in a Toyota Starlet and delivered it. This has actually been made by my own hand. And if it's nice yeah. or otherwise, we we share a moment together. Yeah, and it's that feeling of just providing those, especially like these days when. You know, it's too easy to get a blinking Uber or not an Uber, well, an Uber Uber Eats or a, a Deliveroo or, you know, or get a ready meal from the 
supermarket or just do stuff for convenience. And I think we're all programmed for convenience. It drives me mad. You know, you end up having buying stuff that's got all sorts of crap in it that, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not like new age kind of thing. I just like the idea of making my own food from scratch when I've got the time. So I know what me and my family are eating is good stuff, you know, and, and, and I just, I just don't think, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think we take enough time to think about how and what we, how we provide for our families and, and in, in things, in ways like that. My dad, my dad, when my dad started cooking, my mum always used to cook, right? And my mum, because we were fussy eaters, me and my brother, you know, it was proper beans and chips and, you know, yes. and, and that sort of, you know, the freezer, the, the age old freezer slice of pizza, which was like some sort of big thick wadge of, dough and skanky cheese on so that would be our teas because we were fussy eaters so but then my dad starts cooking but he just put garlic in everything he'd have put garlic in the baked beans you know and it was just like oh, horrible you know what i mean and just but that was like the except my dad cooks all the time now no no we're not there to enjoy it but my dad never used to cook for us yeah, my dad. Other than, either. you know, later on with his garlic sort of thing. It's funny, isn't it? He just, phew, it's a generational thing, I suppose. Maybe it is. My dad was, I guess, was working, but he would walk through the door and his tea would be on the table. He yeah. could literally mm. take yeah. his jacket off, walk in, the chair, sit down, <laughs> bosh, you know? And, no, and d- straight depending what he was oh. working, you know, if he was on shifts or something like that, but normally he'd get on for about 4.30. And that was when he ate. Now, I reckon we eat about nine yeah. o'clock on average, myself and Sue. Yeah, know, likewise, Sue, exactly Sue. the same. It's pushed out five hours. That's like nearly a quarter of a day, isn't it? You know, if my dad eats, a, if my dad, if we come round by accident at like four o'clock on on the weekend because we've been busy, like he's practically shoving us out the door by twenty five past because he can't not have his tea at half yeah, four. Routine, and it's just, and it's the same, you know. So I reckon we talk a little bit more about that. Something we've we've spoke about in the past. Some of the taboo subjects which come on talking card, and this is a feedback we've been getting, isn't it? It's been about you know we'll talk about some of the things that people don't talk openly about, particularly guys of a of a similar age. We don't talk openly about, it. and you've touched on something then, which is parenting. You know, relationships, particularly with our fathers, and you know how does that work now with our relationships with our children? One of the things which comes up. For me, particularly when I've been speaking with friends from, say, Andy's Man Club or coaching or whatever, is what we really worry about, guys of our age often, is like, what kind of a parent am I? Oh, yeah, bloody hell. Is, is that something you guys think about? Oh, all the time. Like, all the time. You know, I really fucked up the other night. So back onto the pizza oven. So when it arrived on Wednesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, something like that. I'd done the, the whole thing. I'd make the pizza dough during the day, get everything ready, and we're going to have a nice sort of fresh pizza, you know, on, 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 the, on the pizza oven. And for whatever reason, the, 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 end of, the tail end of my day didn't work wise. Stuff I was doing just didn't, nothing messed up, but it, the end of my day just 
you know, didn't go right. And they came down as I do. I get these little fixations and then it's good that I know I recognize these things, but you know, I do. So I come down and stuff, yeah, well, there's stuff in the sink that would, you know, had been there since the morning and it was, you know, and there's just bits and bobs and, and just everything started really annoying me. And, and I get in these stupid spirals. I don't do it very often these days, but I can't stop myself. So what should have been, then I'm starting to <laughs> roll out the, the pizza dough and, I, you know, end up with massive holes in it and then try and rejig it. And it just, and I just got myself more and more annoyed. And I got to the point where I just exploded and um, just awful, you know, not at anyone with myself, but the way I did, I, you know, I was shouting and um, my wife went out with the little and just go around the block while I sort of decompress myself, which all of this I feel absolutely mortified with myself about. And as I started to sort of bring myself out of it, I just, I was thinking, what, what have I done? So Ball's in the house, Ball Steam Hammer. I want to be steam a Steam Hammer. hammer. Um, good to have you back. What's been going on, Bo? What's, what's, what's been... What's been floating your boat? What's on your mind? What's been coming up for you? Well, it's been it's been quite a, it's been quite an exciting year, right? So what's coming up? I don't know. It's, I think it's I have an incredible uh, book launch, and without any marketing or without any sort of besides me sort of celebrating myself on LinkedIn, I had some really great feedback. I had about sort of two handfuls of people that I didn't know outside of sort of my magic hundred and fifty people who really. It gave me really sort of a very emotional, very, you know, amazing feedback. And over the last couple of weeks and months, I've been talking to people on the back of the book and generally, you know, sort of impromptu coaching or also, you know, with beer in hand, the boaching. And this concept came up again and again. And I think there's something within this concept that I would like to discuss because it's got a kernel within it, which is really magical. But I'm also very nervous to talk about it because, for very obvious reasons, it's slightly outdated and sort of slightly genitalia heavy. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> if that ain't intriguing enough for anybody that's listening, it, it, I, I, don't, I really do not know what is. <laughs> Curious. Who's going to break the ice? I'm not. <laughs> So we're talking about big dick energy. Basically. What did you say? Can you say big louder? Dick. <laughs> we're talking. <laughs> Look at us. Honestly, it's 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 primary school, isn't it? And it's a very serious subject. This, um, but yes, I mean, I think that part of the problem is 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 the name big dick energy. It's kind of actually, it's as we'll talk about. It's on point, and there's so much in there that to discuss and to like validate and what have you. But I suppose I think that is one of the, the challenges. Yeah, I'd say it's a reasonably serious, well, it is a serious subject, incredibly serious su- subject, but it's got, it's, it's become attached to this sort of meme-like name that makes it difficult actually to talk about it seriously, you know, and I, I think that is the thing. Before we go on, I think, Bo, I think you're, you're the man to actually give us a description of what, 
what big dick energy is for once and for all. <laughs> so I've got I've got a, I've got a description here. <clears throat> so big dick energy, also abbreviated to BDE, is a quite Confidence and ease with oneself that comes from knowing you have an enormous Richard <laughs> and you know what to do with it. It's not cockiness, it's not a power trip, it's the opposite a healthy, satisfied, low key way of feeling yourself. And I think that this concept only came, was coined, it was added to the Oxford Dictionary in 2018. It was um, a lady came up with it. She tweeted it um, on the back of Anthony Bourdain's suicide, saying that he was a gentleman who just had authentic BDE. And what a shame that he's not with us anymore. And then he was picked up by Ariana Grande a little bit later in the year, who retweeted it. And from that point, it entered sort of popular culture. And there's been a lot of stuff written about it, because during that same year, Toxic masculinity was sort of bubbling up, and this term was was supposed to be a sort of counterbalance to toxic masculinity that um, a lot of us men suffer from, and society is suffering from, and has been suffering from. You know the stuff I put in the book about you know patriarchy, and we're not you know thriving within it. And this was supposed to be something about the emotion of men or masculinity that's never been looked at. And it's this sort of, uh, we need self-confident men in society, not sort of yapping dog dogs trying to be king of the castle, but more people who quietly, you know, feel comfortable in their own skin and have a swagger. And I think that's still very magical. I don't think it's exclusive to humans with penises. I do think that it's a general swagger, you know. Um, when, and there, it's, it's not definitely not attributed to men at all. I was like, when I was discussing with my friends before this, um, for me, for example, Jacinda, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, has it, like, full on. And I do think that we, as a society, need to look at this trait and filter for it. But we need to repackage it, especially, and what I found really fascinating was that this term was only coined in 2018, and we're only four years on, but it's so out of date, like COVID, the Ukrainian war, we Brexited, we de-Trumped, and now we've come out of the COVID bubble, and we're also now sort of gender fluid, right? So attaching anything to body parts ain't wise. But there is something within it. Food for me is not just about fuel. Fuel is, is, is crucially important. But we, when we eat, we, we sit opposite each other or alongside each other. We don't sit with our backs to each other. In fact, eating alone is one of the, one of the loneliest, wasted opportunities you can ever think about. It's super, super funny on that because we were having a conversation two or three weeks ago and we were talking, we were, it's like, look, I think it was Suzanne said, I think we might need to swap the dining room table and chairs. And I'm like, I'm like, why? And it's like, well, and to be fair, the chairs are getting a bit weathered now. They are a bit weathered. And I'm like, well, we can swap the chairs, but I'm not changing that table. Because one, it's a beautiful piece of wood and wood gets better with age. And I said, the conversations and, and the, you know, if that table could relay, speak out 
or broadcast everything that's happened around that. I said, that's staying. And that will stay till I die. That We are never, ever get. If it falls, <laughs> in, if anything happens to it, we'll get it fixed. But it's been such a focal point. It, well, a huge focal point because you're exactly right. It's the time that you sit down and you, and, you know, you get to and you ha- it's the food facilitates that downtime to talk and listen. And, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not it's not necessarily as always, always sat down as a family, but the boys, whenever they eat, whether they're eating on their own or together, they will go and sit at the table. Every single time they'll sit at the table. And where myself and Suzanne, as often as we can, we will sit at the table and we'll, we'll gather everybody around the table. Because you're just in that, it's like a bubble because you're sitting down and you're eating and you just start talking about stuff. And it's quite subliminal. You're not having to think. It's it's a, it's you're in a moment of flow. It affords you a moment of absolute flow to be in that moment and boom. And you can be talking about one thing one minute and you'll be like, oh, it's like, oh my God, how, how have we been talking about? How, how, how have we got to that? I totally, totally, totally agree. It's, and it's, it's, it's that mealtime or it's that time that, you know, it's the food that facilitates it, but then, then you're together and it, it it's that conversation, isn't it? So I totally agree with you, mate. I guess we're, we're, we're far more, more likely to want that ceremony of eating food together and sitting around the lovely table and, and sharing the moment as well as the food. When it is food that we've made, you know, that the, the yeah. family has made or an Sunday dinner, for example, Phil. Sunday lunch, maybe. Sunday like dinner that. is absolutely it, isn't it? Yeah, we, we're doing that this Sunday. We don't do it that often, but I, that, that is absolutely it. We're all sat around the table, all three of us in our family, and two dogs sat at the bottom looking for scraps, no doubt. But, you know, we're not going to do that. And not we, do, we, we don't really do this. We have in the past for convenience, but you, know, you wouldn't sort of microwave up free free ready meals and and, and sit around the table, would you? you the, the, it doesn't feel like you'd eat some watching TV, mate. You'd eat some watching TV yeah, because on the, on, and, and you would, yeah, exactly. You would, yeah, and that's it, isn't it? And, but again, oh, then you get into okay, what has society? Done? I'm ranting. I really am ranting now. What has society done to us where it wants to give us crap? We can shove in the microwave. So we can spend less time together and more time watching the television, you know, because ultimately, you know, that's how ready meals were always pitched, wasn't it? In the early 80s when microwaves came out and it was it was a TV dinner, a TV dinner, (laughs) which which brand guru came up with that one that that then all of a sudden, you know, the sale of lap trays probably went through the roof and, and the art of conversation went the other way. It's Again, it's one of those things. Is it more convenient to slap something in the microwave and not talk to your spouse? Or is it more convenient to spend an hour or not even that, cooking together, making stuff together? So that's always been me and Sophie's time after a working day to chat, to catch up, share time, making food, you know. And, um, yeah, there's something very strange with society where, the convenience of popping something in, in to ping it and, you know, then shuffle onto the sofa and uh, shove it in your mouth whilst you're watching Coronation Street. What's or, more advertising about buying more shit food? Yeah, well, exactly. Buy more of this. Yeah, exactly. No, couldn't agree more. We need to get out of 
working, working in branding. Mate, we need to get out of brand and sales, really, don't we? We're in the we 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 <laughs> really are. I hope to God that no clients listen to this or anybody thinking of working with us just goes, what are we with these guys for? They're against us. <laughs> Very good. Well, enjoy the rest of your fry day, guys. Oh, just trying to be a fun guy, obviously. Um, Stop it, you're mashing with my head. Mash. Scrambled yours as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's weather like? Is it boiling? Guys, I'm gonna That's I'm gonna lead joke. us out. I'm gonna do you both a favour and lead us out. I'm gonna lead us out. I'm gonna, I'm please, gonna, please. I'm gonna cut you off and finish it by saying, thanks for listening. <laughs> if you like what you hear, give us a like, a share, give us a subscribe. And if you fancy getting in contact and getting involved, drop us an email at talkingcod. Thanks for listening, listener. In uh, 25 different countries, I believe. Though. Yeah, the States one, the American one. Holy smoke, man. What's that? 25 different states in America? Yeah. That's pretty cool. We're super global. Super global. It's the sales rep in the States for DHL. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's Nick Thompson. He, he, he listens in every country he visits. Yeah. Cheers, Nick. Always a pleasure. Enjoy your weekend, guys. Bye. <laughs> Cheers. I'm hungry now. Bye. <laughs>